Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic has lost in Dubai, and he's lost his number one ranking spot to Daniil Medvedev. Rafael Nadal is undefeated as well to start 2022. It's his best start to a year ever. We're going to get to that towards the end, but let's start with this match against Yuri Vesely, uh, someone who I think had a, a lot of expectations very early on in his career. He's a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, um, and has had a, a really tough year. But I want to send it to you, Joel, our lefty correspondent on uh, Vesely's win over Novak Djokovic, the first really shock loss that Novak has suffered in, in a long time. If and you Vesely, want to even put it that way. Vesley had beaten the only previous time they played. And Vesley is one of those uh, dangerous players. A, a lot of awkward rallies, a lot of uh, good shot making from him. Novak just a little off at times. Also uh, some excellent volleying from Vesley, really commanding the courts. and looked pretty fast, slick conditions out there. And he was just uh, taking charge of a lot of the points. I thought he volleyed very well, even though percentage-wise, he didn't volley as well as Novak did, but he actually came to the net more. So it was 15 of 26 net points, one, 58%. But that 26 is the key, because if you keep coming up there, it's going to be very disquieting. But for me, the whole key was that uh, Vesely returned very well. He attacked Novak's second serve exceptionally well. And then the there 11, if I may, the 11 ones you miss, you lose you get like a half point tuition credit yeah. for that. You get a, you get an investment spending credit that applies the pressure anyway. So losing 11 points coming to net is a different deal than losing 11 points from the baseline. I also thought the Vesely return stood out and Djokovic had an off serving day, especially uh, on the second, just couldn't find a formula uh, there, especially Vesely's backhand return was really amazing. I thought he was just timing that and squaring that up every single time. And then Novak had two key double faults to give away the break of serve in the first set. And then in the second set tie break to decide the match. So you could see that the pressure that Vesely was applying was, was starting to uh, get to Djokovic and, and his second serve effectiveness. And yeah, the, the court conditions so speedy, so rewarding of aggression and Vesely was uh, just, that's his, those are his best conditions. He's been dangerous at Wimbledon year after year. He's upset a lot of seeds um, on those kind of slick grass courts. And uh, it was, uh, I think a, a really, a really amazing performance from Vesely. It's a tough surface for Djokovic to come back to when, where people can slash and play that well for, I always think of the two out of three set format. A guy can play well for 1.7 sets. Just needs to put enough together just long enough. And Vesely uh, served for the match. 
at 5-4 and Novak broke him. And then they went into tiebreak and Vesely quickly got his mini break. So he was able to build the cushion and kind of just hang in long enough to close it out. And again, the regression is so rewarded because he was he was really slashing and hitting a lot of good shots. Yeah, Vesely has one of those flat backhands that was just on today. So that's really hard to face. And looking at their second serve return points, one for Vesely, 14 out of 24. That's 58%. He's above water there on Novak's second serve. That, to me, was where the, the match turned. But... You know, this was Novak's first tournament back after a long break, and it's tough to expect too much. Um, I don't think it's indicative of anything. I mean, certainly we saw him looking as Novak as he's ever looked, and um, it's just hard to say what's going to happen in the next couple of months or where the world goes from here. Yeah, Amy, and just a, a note to add on to Vesely protecting his second serve, averaged 111 miles per hour on his second serve. Wow. So isn't he that was amazing? Swinging it. He was swinging. <laughs> he was feeling, he said, let's just mm -hmm. swing it. Mm -hmm. Just do it, man. Yep. That's your chance and take a go. Give it a go. It's a formula. It's it's a way that you can get Novak if you can catch him in just the right circumstances. So if you're other players, you're going to study that match and say, hmm, here's a guy who came into the net a lot. Um, if he missed the volley, it didn't matter. He just kept right coming back in. And uh, aggressiveness on a fast surface, that's a formula. Totally. And from the, from the lefty standpoint, the awkward, as you were talking about that, yeah, I want to see Novak play Cam Nori sometime this year. Again, awkward rally position. The backhand goes back to the forehand, the sequence, you know, a little less instinctual for Djokovic. It doesn't mean he's going to start losing to lefties. I mean, he's great, but it's just kind of interesting uh, stylistic contrast to see. The stakes did feel not that high to me, which is weird because the number one ranking was on the line. But here Djokovic comes, plays his first tournament back from Dubai. I don't know. If, if I'm alone in this, I don't know if it's just because the last year, every time Novak has played, it's been like Wimbledon, Roland Garros, Olympics, U.S. Open, history on the line. Uh, and then, I mean, I guess Paris and then year end, right? I don't know if that's the reason. For some reason, I just didn't feel like there was a lot riding on this match. It felt almost like a comeback, get your feet wet, start the year. And I just don't really feel like this was uh, a massive blow emotionally at, by any means for Novak. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the number one ranking is not on the line in February. The number one ranking is possibly changing hands in February. And if you've occupied as long as Djokovic has, he's not, that's not, he's not kind of bad an eye about his number one computer ranking and how he loses. it. I really don't think so. I think he's taken a long view and it's 2022 and this what a year this is going to be for him. I mean, we've talked about it before. We're going to talk about it again. We're going to see protocols and countries and diplomacy and a whole off-court agenda that's going to be wild. Before we get to Medvedev, who will take over uh, year and number one, um, and we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit, um, let's talk about the crowds. I kind of hate that we have to talk about this as much as we do with Novak because 
it, it doesn't come up with Federer or Nadal because it just doesn't have to. But this was a, a very, very supportive Dubai reception, extremely supportive. Uh, Amy, I mean, do you think that do you think that that's more about Dubai and just the fact that the tournament was there? Or do you think that Djokovic's escapades at the start of 2022 are actually going to find him being supported a little bit more passionately as he travels the world? Believe it or not, I think what happened in Australia seems like years ago. I mean, <laughs> so much has happened since. And I think, Gil, certainly the crowds in that part of the world are supportive. Um, it's a very sort of open country there. And they you, you even look on their website and it says, we welcome unvaccinated, whatever. That's just the mentality at that, at that tournament. Um, so I think yeah, that naturally the, the crowds would be supportive of him, but there's more to it than that. I think that the public relations that he did in giving that BBC interview eased tensions. It melted the ice. It was a good move. It let him one-on-one -on -one speak to what happened and, and give his version of events and apologize for the part of it that he said he was wrong and own that. I just thought that it was really good PR and that, you know, maybe the ice is starting to melt and that when people look at Novak, they go, okay, he, he's, I may not agree with him, but he sticks to his guns. He sticks to his principles and um, you got to give the guy respect respect, respect, respect. So I never thought that he was going to be booed. And I don't know where that came from. And um, I, it's really good to see the support. Well, now he's become something other than just a tennis player. So maybe the people who are drawn to him are that um, they're tennis fans, but also people say, hmm, who is this guy? And I think there is definitely a certain type of, I don't know if it's sympathy, but interest. And then the number one tennis player in the world, the greatest player of the last decade takes the court. So it's kind of an appreciation of him. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The last time world number one has changed hands between someone not named are three, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, or Andy Murray. It was 2004. Andy Roddick was world number one. It's about to be Daniil Medvedev. That much is, is guaranteed. And Joel, just zooming all the way out and thinking about what we've seen in the last 18 or so years where the, the big four 
have uh, have reigned. I mean, when I think about it, I think of Medvedev entering that top spot, and to me, it's a it's almost a shifting of an era stylistically. That you know, there hasn't been a replacement of the big four. It is it is not someone who has maximized their way of playing, their general and vague way of playing, which is, you know, the baseline dominance, the high margin offense and defense, um, the consistency, the racket speed, uh, but someone who completely represents a new era, someone who we have not seen that kind of package uh, previously whatsoever until a couple of years ago. And that's why I think it's, it's cool that Daniil Medvedev is the person who will now take the mantle, perhaps temporarily, as world number one. Well, he represents the evolution of the styles. I mean, in, in a way that he's got a tall person with a, very, a certain, not variation of sort of things Novak and let's say Murray do with a big serve mm-hmm. and, and his own tactical disruption. So you see the evolution of, of styles. I mean, it's not quite like saying, oh, look, here's a, a 6'6 serve volleyer who's now taking the number one ranking. He's just taken it, speaks to their, their, um, yeah, their legacy and their excellence and kind of the, the problems that they have created for many, many years that someone's got to come up with the answers and it needs to be this. It need, and I think most of all, it's probably, it's, it's the serve and it's the tactical disruption that Medvedev is so good at. No, it's not a serve volleyer like uh, Maxime Cressy, who Medvedev played and uh, said this is boring <laughs> in the changeover. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I'm kind of with Joel, I, I don't necessarily, Gil, see this as like the ushering in of some new style or indicative of that, because I mean, look at what just beat Djokovic. It wasn't really, you know, a chain to the baseline type of game. Um I just, I, I have to say, I think it's, it feels strange on a day like today when there's so much going on in the world with Russia uh, invading Ukraine and a Russian takes the number one spot. It just feels coincidental and eerie. And it's a reminder, you know, tennis is a global sport. We have players um, from all over the world, and especially from that area of the country, Ukrainian players like Svitolina, um, that this is going to be a very difficult time for them. Um, and uh, Rublev tweeted something or, or put something on Instagram. Everybody should go out and read it. And it's about, you know, wanting peace and, and that kind of thing. It was a very nice and, and almost calming statement. Um, but it's just interesting to me that today is that day. And um, as far as the number one ranking goes, I mean, he's Djokovic has set all the records. That's why it doesn't feel big. What goes up must come down. You knew it was going to come to an end eventually. But I think what's what may be kind of cool is watching him chase number one again and uh, and build up to that. Yeah, I agree. That's that's going to be interesting. Um... Let me, let me address the first, you know, where you started um, just, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you gave me some pushback because I've gotten some pushback when I put the, the takeout on, on Twitter from, from some uh, not universal pushback, but uh, it's not ever going to be 
like a, a, a stake in the sand and there's going to be like a shift, right? But we spent years and years and years thinking, oh, uh, who's going to be the next number one? Is it going to be Grigor Dimitrov? Is it going to be Kane Ishikori? Is it going to be Milos Raonic? Um, you, you, you can, we can re rewind further and, and talk about other players, right? Well, what if I said, okay, no, it's going to be none of those players who are kind of children of that big four era. It's going to be a six foot six guy who serves 130 miles per hour, who returns from the back fence and gets as many returns back as a Djokovic or a Murray. It's going to be someone with insane patience and shot tolerance, and he's going to move as well as anyone at that six foot six height. That is going to be the next number one. And that's kind of I can't wait I'm to see him. I can't <laughs> wait to see him. I would have been, I would have been loved to see him. I mean, we never know who's the next number one is going to be. I mean, you, you kind of see these people and the thing is we've seen, we put together this chart of the generations of the, of the people born within the three to four years of Roger from the Burdick and, uh, and Andy and Roddick and some of those guys. And then you enter into, you know, you can have all these different generations of Sangha and all these contenders, all these people who got to, four or three and had a splash and, and Milos Raonic, for example, is one, but we don't, we don't know. And, and, and we're at the mercy also of how well these guys continue to play. I mean, who could have foreseen that Nadal was going to win his 13th Roland Garros in 2020? Who would have said that in 2014? That would be a hard thing to see. So who knows who's, who's going to finally surface. Shall we move on to Nadal? 12 and 0 Acapulco uh, so far so good as um, he is through to the quarterfinals and I'm, I'm blanking on, on who's next for him again. Be playing Tommy Paul cool. in the quarterfinals, Tommy Paul. Thank you, Joel. Uh, he took out <laughs> Stefan Kozlov. He took out Dennis Kudla. Uh, both, both were rather straightforward, but he's never started this. Well, who would have thought I, it just adds to the, it adds to the weird reverse psychology of Nadal's season where I legitimately thought, oh, Nadal in 2022, he'll be fine, should be good, but he'll probably start slow given the health concerns. Well, it's funny if you ask, I, right before I joined you guys, I read Rafa's comments about the Kozlov match. <laughs> he made it sound like it was the toughest match ever. <laughs> Kozlov is so smart and you have to be careful against him because if he gets going um yeah it, it's it's wonderful to see obviously I mean we spent a lot of last year really worried about Rafa and you know he we were worried about the fact that he's getting older of course we always you know worry like when is Rafa's career going to come to an end but then we started really worrying about his health and his feet and the fact that this is the year that he starts 12 and 0 is shocking and delightfully surprising it's pretty good stuff so we'll see how it continues for him in Acapulco and then take a little time off and head to the desert and uh yeah we'll uh we'll see it's pretty Pretty interesting. I, I it's fun. It's it's fun to watch him play. It's fun to also watch a player in the wake of having won a surprise slam again. This reminds me of 2017, after Federer had won that Australian Open, and that's kind of like a series of gravy birthday mm. cake 
things to do. It's like, okay, so either you lose Acapulco Rafa, that's great, and come to Indian Wells, that's great. He won the Australian. And, and then and then for him, look what's waiting down the road in the spring is Roland Garros. I think it's going to be somewhat important that Nadal reaches the top four in time for Roland Garros for the seeding. Because I don't think he'll want to play a Stefano Tsitsipas of the world in the quarters. No, you don't think you want to see him play Tsitsipas in the quarters. Well, no, 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 no. he doesn't. Mike Fig Newton, who he plays Yes, I think you want to be a top four seed, right? No, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this one uh, okay. a little bit. I, I think, I don't think players like Nadal, I'm not talking about younger, less players. I don't think they really care what they're seated. I really don't. I think, yeah, okay, maybe sort of, and they have a camp and they think about these things. I think what they think about is tomorrow's match. Practice tomorrow's match, this guy. Yeah, okay. I, I, I mean, I, I would go ahead. If As long as you're playing, you might as well try for the highest ranking you can get. I mean, get it, it's gravy. And I, I will say that this thing that happened with Zverev could you know, have a, an impact on that because if he gets suspended and nobody's saying he is, I'm saying maybe he should. Um, but if he gets suspended, then that's going to be points and, and Rafa has a real chance to move up. Absolutely. He does. And look, and I'm, I'm not saying a player shouldn't try and try to be ranked as high as possible. I just think from a process outcome, I think it's important. It's like, there's our world of stories and externally viewing upon it. And then there's the trick of understanding their world and the right. world they occupy. So in other words, it's just like the same way when a player is, is way older, but they've won a lot. They don't think of themselves as well. I guess I'm not a contender anymore. I've been a, once a champion. And so I don't think Nadal really is going to sweat. What do you see? Agreed. Agreed. I, I don't think he's going to sweat. I think it would advantage him though, to be a top four seed, especially at his age and, and just given the endurance challenges that he's faced at majors, a, a test he passed with flying colors in Australia after getting through the Shapovalov match. But, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to face Tsitsipas in the quarterfinal. I mean, or, or it, maybe he doesn't care, but it would not be an advantage. You know, you, you want that match. You, you want, you want a four through eight seed in the quarters and you can worry about Tsitsipas and potentially Djokovic in the semis. I, it's a tough question for any journalist to ever get the answer to because we're not on the inside and we don't know the decisions in terms of scheduling. Well, let's play this tournament so we can defend these points and potentially move up. I mean, we don't know for sure and they won't tell us. That is the last thing anyone he or anyone on his team is going to let on to. So we right. really don't know the level there. Um, but I do really think there is something to this energy conservation throughout a Grand Slam and playing as few sets and spending as little time on court as you possibly can until the very end when you can just let it all out. There is something to that. How much Rafa thinks about it or his team thinks about it when they're scheduling outside of the slams, I don't know. I think this thing reminds me of the talk that we had, I forget it was the last show or prior about how at a certain point you're just playing tennis, just like you start. I think that the scheduling, managing, the point defending, 
the this and what I had last year. I think by the time you've reached the stage of the people we spend the show talking about, you're just thinking about how I can get better to win a match. It's kind of like going back to where it all starts. Maybe it's a little different when you're when you're ranked a certain level and you want to kind of manage your schedule because you're not sure how many matches you're going to be playing and and maybe their appearance fees and different type of desires. Uh, and and it does make a big difference. Between, like like our whole uh, Struff question about how often was that guy ranked 34 <laughs> yeah. and missing out on a seating, and that has implications. Mm-hmm. But I really do think for Nadal, I mean, if watching Vesely beat Novak showed us anything, it's like all these guys are are, are tricky things. So I know what you mean about. Yes, seats pass in the quarters and the energy and what's involved. I, I just think I just think the um, a player doesn't can't really get themselves pondering any of that. No, and they, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't talk like Nadal should not be thinking about that. He should be thinking about his his match tonight, and and I'm sure he is. And it none of this matters. He's trying to win tennis matches, and I think Joel would you know putting ourselves in Nadal's shoes. I I, I agree with you, but from a, an outsider analyst's perspective. Uh, I think that one of the things that we'll see likely is that Nadal uh, has a, a good chance to get his ranking back yes. inside the top four and that that will have Roland Garros implications. Absolutely. And that's why I think he's going to be, when it gets to selectiveness, we're going to, like we, we talked earlier about the sunshine double. I, I don't like, you know, I don't like making predictions, but yeah. I will say that I think that um, I'll be curious to see how Nadal approaches Miami as his Acapulco and Indian Wells advance. Agreed. Zero rankings points to defend for Nadal at Indian Wells and Miami. It'll be a huge chance for him to climb. And as of now, Novak Djokovic cannot enter the United States unless something changes uh, in terms of COVID-19 immigration regulations. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms and we appreciate it. If you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, if you're watching on YouTube, do us a favor and like the video, comment and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of three.